when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friend. With over 30 years of experience and a superb reputation for being a detail-oriented company, Lacey Cleaning has some of the highest work standards in the cleaning business. That's the fact! Whether it's carpet cleaning, tile, grout cleaning, new construction cleanup, rental turnovers, vent and duct cleaning, odor elimination, office and or business cleaning, power washing, residential cleaning, you name it, they do it. Check them out. To contact them today, LaceyCleaning at gmail.com or call them at 609-709-8536. That's what I'm talking about. Hey everybody, this is Joan Osborne, and you are now listening to Crazy Train Radio. Based, 
a Kentucky girl at heart woman down there. Uh, Absolutely, yes. Whereabouts are you calling from this morning? Uh, right now I'm calling from Brooklyn, New York. Okay, so you're based, you kept your home base in the New York area there? Yeah, I mean, I still have a lot of family in Kentucky, and I, I go back there, and they come up and visit me. But uh, I've been a New Yorker now for a little while and, and uh, don't don't really have any plans to leave anytime soon. Well, that's a good thing. Well, before we get started talking about the tour and some of your music and everything else like that, the thing I found interesting about you, because my parents wanted me to do some odd thing like re- knowing how to read and write and all that kind of thing, was... <laughs> Yeah, I know, scary, right? But no, I was doing a little homework on you and making sure this was a somewhat decent interview. Uh, you actually studied or started to study to become a documentary filmmaker at NYU before getting into music. What was it about filmmaking and documentaries that really caught your interest there? Well, I think... Um it had to do with the fact that I studied theater when I was first in college. I, my first semester in college, um, I went to the University of Louisville in Louisville, Kentucky. And I started taking some classes in the theater department, and I got very into um, directing plays. And I directed a, a play in the small black box theater there. And it just I, I really enjoyed that, and I really uh, appreciated that, and I, I just loved it. Um, but I started thinking, you know, it, the audience for theater in the United States is relatively small, but the audience for film is much larger. And I thought, well, if, if this is something that I'm interested in doing, um, I would probably like to reach the largest amount of people as possible. So I started um, just sort of doing a little bit of a study of my own and, um, you know, watching foreign films whenever I could and and um, watching great American movies whenever I could and and uh, started to educate myself about it a little bit. But I, I realized that living in Kentucky, it was not going to allow me to really do the in-depth kind of study that I wanted. So I looked into the different film schools, and New York University was the one that really stood out to me and was really very lucky to uh, apply and be accepted. Um, so that's what that was really why I left Kentucky and, and came to New York. Uh, and I think there's, you know, there's just something about documentaries in particular. As I began to study filmmaking um, at New York University, I had some great teachers there, and there was something about documentaries that really grabbed me because I felt like the people and the characters that populate these documentaries were much more interesting and unusual than you would ever be able to make up in any kind of a fiction film. You know, as they say, truth is stranger than fiction, and that's just I just was so fascinated by it. Um, and so that was really kind of the track that I had set myself on until I kind of stumbled upon this music scene that was going on all around me and uh, and ended up, uh, you know, after a long time, ended up kind of deciding that I really needed to see where I could go with music. Well, before we touch on that, yes, it was a unique scene. Was there a uh, documentary or particular style of film that you really appreciate? I know you mentioned that you've watched foreign stuff and American classics mm-hmm. and different stuff, but is there something that you even now can sit back and, like when you were not on stage or not doing this or that or whatever, when you want to just maybe sit, have a glass of wine and have something mm-hmm. to eat, is there just something 
a particular movie or style of movie that you okay, let me recenter myself, sit here for however two hours, whatever it is and Hmm. You mean like a favorite, some favorites that I that just yeah. watch for pleasure? Mm-hmm. Well, God, there's so many. That's that's a hard question, but um, there's so many. I mean, there's a there's a great documentary uh, about the gospel songwriter. Um, oh gosh, now I'm going to forget his name. That's embarrassing. Um, hmm. Well, there's a great documentary called um, "Say Amen, Somebody." And it centers around this celebration in Chicago uh, from all these different gospel groups and, and uh, not people who are necessarily household names like, you know, Aretha or people like that, but people who are very well known in the straight gospel world coming together to celebrate the, the uh, birthday of this uh, songwriter who uh, wrote a lot of gospel classics. I'm, I'm forgetting his name right now, but uh, it doesn't really matter. Um, and the, the, Music sequences are so powerful and so overwhelming and just so incredible. And then also the the stories about each of these gospel groups and you know they they don't make a ton of money. They're not household names. They they work in this sort of subculture and and live in this sort of sub subculture of of the you know the African American church and and uh, was just very interesting to learn about their personal stories as well. And also learned a little bit of the history uh, about gospel music in America, and talked about people like Mahalia Jackson, who I'm a huge fan of, and and Clara Ward, who I'm a huge fan of, and who was a great influence on Aretha Franklin. So for me to be able to sit and and watch that movie is it's like just a, a joy and an education all at the same time. So that's that's one of my favorite documentaries that I know of. But you know, I also like classic American. Films and it's you know it's funny that you mention that because I'm trying to I have a 14 year old daughter and I'm trying to get her to sort of watch some of these films that I think are so great and you know she's not really in this moment where she's listening to mom for a lot of advice about what she should do <laughs> so it's a what bit of a struggle. What 14 year old is though? Pardon me. What 14 year old oh, yeah. is though? Exactly. You no, know, I know it's it's age appropriate. It doesn't make it any less annoying, but it is age appropriate. Um, but like I would I would love for her to sit down and and watch a movie like Groundhog Day, you know, that's one of my favorite movies of all time because it's not only is it this amazing comedy, uh, you know, with Bill Murray, who's an incredible comedy star and I, I love him, but it's also sort of like a Buddhist parable about or a, a Hindu parable about reincarnation and about coming back life after life after life and and, and learning things and, and there's something very profound about it as well being just this hilarious movie. So, um, so I, I feel like there's, a lot of just great straight up um, Hollywood films that I love as well, and uh, you know I'm a big fan of like the European directors like Fellini and Truffaut, and uh, there's a movie called Jules et Jim, uh, which is a, a Francois Truffaut movie um, that I just I love, and I'll I'll sit and watch that anytime. So so kind of a, it's a it's a pretty wide swath of things that I like. Well, I like your music. Sounds like your movie tastes are very eclectic. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe is a Yiddish word, but I don't know that for sure. So, <laughs> but where did uh, music uh, really take hold of you? Obviously, like I mentioned earlier, you came out of a unique New York music scene while you were in school, mm-hmm. attending open mics and such. But where did it really hit home for you, either as a child or? Whatever for you to go. Hmm, that could be a path as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I loved singing as a girl, and um, I sang in the school chorus when I was, you know, 11, 12 years old, and and I had an excellent um, teacher where I was growing up, uh, a woman named Carolyn Browning, who gave us, uh, you know, as a as a chorus and as a choir, some fairly sophisticated things to learn, and and I, uh, you know, some like five and six part harmonies and old English madrigals and things like that. So which I I just loved doing. Uh, So I feel like that was a bit of a a training for me, even though I didn't realize it was happening at the time. Um, But I think it was, you know, at at the time, I've never had any notion of, oh, I'm going to grow up and become a professional singer. And, you know, I think living in a small town in Kentucky, even thinking something like that, you know, you would just be like, oh, who do you think you are? And, you know, that's not a realistic expectation uh, for, you know, the place that I grew up in. Um, but, you know, after coming to New York and, and sort of stumbling upon this amazing music scene, I, I really think it was um, the fact that there were a lot of blues clubs and a lot of blues open mic nights. And um, so I, you know, if I was going to participate in that, I needed to learn blues songs and to sing blues songs. And there was something about the emotional expressiveness and um, just sort of the down and dirty um, sort of, uh, you know, realistic uh, look at how difficult life can be, but also sort of transforming that difficulty into this momentary joy by singing about it. Uh, you know, I think that was really, really profound for me because, you know, as much as I appreciate film as an art form, it's more of an intellectual exercise and a technical exercise. Um, you know, certainly the, the finished product can be very emotionally affecting, but, it's, you know, to me it sort of pales in comparison to the act of just getting up and singing. You know, you're using your body and you're expressing these emotions, and I think it connected me to a part of myself, you know, my soul and my body that I was sort of neglecting, you know, and um, I think it really allowed me to sort of put my entire being into something, and it was just really, uh, you know, it kind of turned my head around and, and really made a huge difference in, in my world. So I, I really kind of became, uh, you know, addicted, if you will, to finding these open mic nights and learning these blues songs and, and singing them, and, and also, you know, the act of performance, of singing it in front of people. Uh, on the one hand, it's it's really frightening and it's a it's a great risk and you know you're putting yourself up there to be examined or judged by people most of whom you don't know um, so that can be very intimidating but on the other hand being on a stage is almost like a little safe zone where you can do this sort of extraordinary thing of singing a you know a, an emoting in this way and it's kind of accepted because you're doing it on a stage in a club and that's what people do there so in a sense it was a a safe place as well yeah exactly now obviously over the years you have performed with folks such as Melissa Etheridge uh, Stevie Wonder and the stuff you're doing now of your interpretation of Bob Dylan is Mm -hmm. there somebody that you go that just floored you that you have gotten to play with over the years of your career well, gosh, there's so many people. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of Patti Smith, and I've, you know, become somewhat friendly with her because, uh, 
I guess because of being New York based and also knowing some of the guys in her band and, you know, crossing paths that this or that benefit and things like that. So we've, we've, uh, you know, become somewhat friendly and to be able to share a stage with her as I have a, a handful of times has just been, you know, amazing. And, uh, you know, and she actually has been really complimentary in particular about the song St. Teresa from the Relish record and saying that she went through a period of time of waking up and listening to it every morning with her morning coffee. And just, you know, to hear that from someone that you consider such a great artist and, and a giant in the field is just, that that really is amazing. Um, and also, you know, I got to be a, basically a member of the dead for a, a big chunk of uh, of the year 2003, and I've, I've uh, continued to work with Phil Lesh off and on. So being part of that, whole, you know, kind of Grateful Dead family, if you will, uh, was a, you know, has been a really amazing experience, partly because the music, you know, the songs, this huge catalog of songs are just really, really good songs, and partly because of just the phenomenon of, of the relationship between them and their audience. Uh, it's kind of unmatched, I think, in American popular culture to have this, um, you know, this this following that has stayed with this band since they formed in the 60s and, and expanded to, you know, to where they were filling enormous stadiums and now has kind of morphed into something different even again. Um, you know, it's a, it's a really beautiful relationship. So that was cool to be able to be a part of that and kind of be in the middle of it all. Um, and, you know, I got to sing with Luciano Pavarotti and, and uh, in Italy. And, uh, I mean, that was like a dream, you know. So uh, there have been so many moments like that. I, I am really, really fortunate. Yeah, and I hear uh, Patty Smith, uh, her husband's not bad either. But, uh, oh, yeah, Fred Smith from the MC5, yeah. yeah. Rest in peace. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, but you mentioned the Relish album there from 95. And at song One of Us, which most people would know of you as, as far as a wide mainstream song, was actually mm-hmm. written by a couple of guys from where I'm originally from. Uh, or part, they were part of the process, Eric Brazilian and Rob Hyman, a couple of Philly guys, mm-hmm. the Hooters, you know. Uh, how much influence did those guys have as like, singers and songwriters? How much influence did they have on the Relish Festival? Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, I mean, I think we were collaborators in the moment of uh, making, you know, we, we wrote a lot of the songs together for the Relish record and came up with a lot of the arrangements together along with the producer, Rick Chertoff. Um, so it was, I think it was less that we, you know, that I was influenced by them or they were influenced by me and more that we sort of shared a similar language because um, because we each were great fans of a lot of great, you know, roots musicians and, and um, a lot of great roots music. So we had kind of a language where we would understand each other, uh, you know, talking about particular blues licks or talking talking about, oh, let's put an accordion in here and, and do it, you know, maybe not in a Cajun way, but maybe do it in more of like a Garth Hudson way. And, and uh, you know, we had a, a shared um, sort of set of, language and meaning that we understood and I think that made it very easy to communicate and to work together. Yeah, and uh how would I put this? Uh, you know, sorry, you know what? I know how I would put this because 
I don't have to go into a 20-minute spiel about this. And for those, for the song itself, when Rob started it, or, or excuse me, Eric, my bad, I was bringing mm-hmm. up early in the morning for me, was actually a little dare from his wife, Sarah, when she came over here. But you can see that story online, interesting story, when you look into the background of the song. But look, mm-hmm. uh, we got like a couple minutes here. Uh, let's go into what you're doing with the Dylan material. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Bob Dylan has been so influential on so many people since the 60s. Mm-hmm. What is it about, would you say, your interpretation of his stuff that has really made it unique? Well, I, you know, for me, I, I feel like it's it's almost like I get to, uh, you know, cast myself in a great, you know, dramatic role or a great comic role to be able to do this material. Um, I think it's, you know, as you say, he's so influential on so many people. Um, you know, that it, I think it's interesting to hear a female singer uh, take on Dylan's uh, material because I think that sort of necessarily can put it into a whole different framework. Um, and in fact, we've had, you know, we've been doing this for a little while and, uh, we have people come up to us after the shows and, and a lot of, you know, the female members of the audience are like, you know what? I didn't really like ever, you know, listening to Bob Dylan. I'm not a fan of his voice, but hearing you do this stuff, like, I get it. I understand why people are, you know, so excited by him. And I think there's a, there's a certain, um, access maybe that we give people who aren't necessarily um, you know, fans of his voice. I mean, I personally am a huge fan of his voice, and I love the way he sings, but it's not for everybody. It's not a classically, you know, quote-unquote good voice. So some people just, you know, that's not their thing. So I think if you uh, have this material done by someone, you know, like Joan Baez or, you know, people who have done, uh, covered Dylan over the years, uh, giving it a female energy and someone who is more of just like a, traditionally good voice, I think that opens up the material for some people. And, you know, and that being said, these gigs that we're doing coming up um, at the end of November and beginning of December, these are, you know, full band gigs, and we're kind of putting our own arrangement spin on some of these songs. So we're taking some songs which might have been ballads in Dylan's treatment and turning them into just big roaring stompers, and then we're taking other songs uh, that, you know, and giving them a, a different twist. So we're we're trying to not just copy what he's done, but to take that as raw material in the way that, you know, a director will take a Shakespeare play as raw material and then put their own spin on it. Because I think that uh, is really ultimately a tribute to him and to how amazing his material is, is that you can you can spin it so many different ways and it still retains its power. Well, like we said at the beginning of this, it's the 29th in Beverly, Massachusetts, Lynchfield, Connecticut on the 30th, Newton, New Jersey on the 1st. You You know, know, I want to not forget to say that we also have a couple of amazing guest artists who are coming out. Okay, go for it. Not forget to mention that uh, it's not just going to be me in a full band, but we also have a couple of amazing guest artists who are going to come and perform with us at these Dylan shows. Uh, it's Jackie Green, who is a West Coast-based, amazing singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist. 
Uh, I think they, you know, he's been nicknamed like the Prince of Americana. Um, and then we also have Anders Osborne, who's a New Orleans-based guy that I've known for years. Uh, amazing singer, amazing guitar player, uh, you know, incredible bluesy, rough voice. Uh, so we're the three of us are all going to be sharing duties on interpreting this, you know, this Bob Dylan stuff, and it's going to be a real blast. Well, even if you're not going to be in the Northeast sunny states, I know she's going to be doing some stuff. I believe in Mexico and other spots around the world yep. and around the U.S. So check it out, JoanOsborne.com. You know, get your tour dates, your tickets, your if you want to buy some music, let's buy it legitimately, folks. Support these artists. So, Joan, thank you so much. You are so welcome. Thanks for having me. Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shot suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Hey, this is Margot Ray, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio.